Welcome, everyone, to the ProWrestling.net All-Access Podcast. My name is Chris Shore, and joining me is Jake Barnett for a SmackDown audio review. This is the SmackDown that aired on January the 6th, 2012, first SmackDown of the year. And this audio show is not unique to SmackDown. We actually review every single show here on the site. We review Raw each week and TNA Impact. Plus, we do a lot more audio throughout the week. I do a Wednesday kind of catch-all show that looks at different things going on in wrestling uh, currently and some things that have happened in history, plus do a DVD review, talk about the indies. Jake and Will Pruitt get together for the .NET Countdown. That's also on Wednesday, sometimes on Thursdays. On Friday, Jason Powell does a Q&A audio where members can ask questions both on wrestling and on the non-wrestling side. And then Jason and I get together every Thursday for .NET Weekly. It is our flagship show, usually runs two or more hours. We discuss the news of the week and often great news that's not even made its way to the front page yet. So, if you'd like to have access to all of those audios, the only way you can do that is by being one of the .NET members. And to do that, just head on over to ProWrestling.net, look on the right-hand side of the page, and you'll see the .NET member sign-up link. Click on that, and we'll get you started. Seven fifty a month if you want to take the monthly option. Try it for 30 days. I'm sure once you do, you'll be ready to dig into that annual option. We'll save you 2 bucks a month, just five fifty a month when you take the annual option. Get you a full year of access to all of those audios, plus access to the .NET uh, Members Forum, the .NET Members Blog Site, and, of course, access to the ad-free version of the site. Besides the audios we do each week, we've got all the audios we've ever done, lots of interviews. I recently did one with Bobby Lashley. Jason recently did uh, quite a few interviews. Uh, let's see, Hurricane Helms, Sean Devari. Lots of different interviews there for you guys to listen to, all there in the archives for you to check out. All you got to do, ProWrestling.net, right-hand side of the page, and the .NET member sign-up gets you started. So let's go ahead and bring in Jake now to talk about this SmackDown. It was taped on January 3rd in Little Rock, Arkansas. And for those who heard our, our show at the, at the end of last year, 2011, Jake and I were really critical of the SmackDown show, and rightfully so. It was not a very good show to close out the year. And I thought that this year, at the start of the year for them, Jake, that uh, WWE didn't give us a great show, but certainly a much, much, much better show than we got last or last week. Yeah, definitely. You know, you and I have both uh, spoken before about, you know, we kind of gauge how good the show is by how quickly the time goes by. And, uh, you know, this show was, uh, you know, a very pleasing pace. I, I felt like... Uh, you know, there was there was quite a bit of action on the show, and, and time really did kind of fly by. I mean, you even said, I think sent me a message right after the first hour got over, and, and said the show flew by. So, uh, yeah, I, I was very entertained throughout most of the show. I mean, there were some you know parts that we didn't be critical of, but uh, for the most part, I, I I thought the opener and the closer of the show were very good. And, uh, there were some bright spots there uh, among. Uh, you know, the matches in the middle of the show. So, yeah, everything uh, was pretty pleasing, and I was much more entertained this week than I was last week, which really makes sense since they spent most of last week's show uh, telling us about this one. So, uh, much better and much improved from last week. Yeah, and it's, and it's typical of a lot of SmackDowns. I mean, I just, I've been covering the, the show now for the site for well over three years, and uh, what seems to be the case a lot of times is that you end up with what I call a bookend show, where the beginning of the show is very good, the end of the show was very good, and the middle is not so much. This was not, I don't know if there was very, there were a couple things that were just kind of blah, nothing that was really awful, uh, except for the Hornswoggle spot, but if Hornswoggle's there, for me, it's going to be awful anyway. 
But I thought it did open and close well. It opened with Booker T versus uh, Cody Rhodes for the Intercontinental Championship and closed with Daniel Bryan versus Big Show for the World Heavyweight Championship. They they really set this up. Like you said, they spent most of the two hours last week's show really setting up for this week's show, and I thought they were able to deliver. But one thing, we, we kind of saw the beginning of this really last week. I mean, it was kind of... When, when Daniel Bryan won the championship, I mean, he acted a little goofy or whatever, but he, really last week was the beginning of, of what appears to be a heel turn for him. He, he's getting really arrogant. There were uh, several times a night he was able to, uh, to speak, and, and each time he was he just seemed aloof and, um, you know, oh, you know, I, I don't understand why everybody doesn't believe I can win. I've already beat the Big Show, and he kind of took a few shots at Big Show uh, face-to-face and, We'll talk about all that as we get to it, but what what do you think? I mean, I, we both agree at this point, I think, that he is definitely in some sort of heel turn. I mean, they may swerve us yet, but it certainly feels like he is turning right in front of our eyes. Do you think this is a good idea for him? Well, he needs something. I mean, you know, the the character that he had to play in was a you know a pretty big doofus as a babyface. I mean, aside from the you know the major accomplishments that he's had. Uh, you know, his U.S. title run and money in the bank. For the most part, he's just kind of been an afterthought uh, for the intervening months. So I think he needs an edge, and I think we both mentioned that in the past. But, you know, Brian is one of those guys that has done those types of characters in the past. And uh, prior to his entrance into WWE, he wasn't really treated like, you know, the, the vegan hippie loser who also happens to be one of the most talented wrestlers in the world. I mean, that's kind of how they present him, like it's, He's those things first, and then he's also, well, maybe quite possibly the most talented wrestler in the world. So it's uh, it would be a nice change of pace to put the character up front and center and let's give him a chance to actually uh, deliver in a more serious way, which I hope this is what we're transitioning to at this point. I mean, it's, it's hard to say, you know, the character is kind of aloof, like you mentioned, uh, way too proud of his, uh, you know, quite uh, demeaned accomplishments I mean, as far as he just walked out and in the big show, so. It's, uh, it'll be a good thing if he does turn heel, but I'm, you know, it, we have to wait and see how it plays out. It might just be a fake. I don't know. Yeah, my, my biggest concern on this has to be that I, I'm afraid we're going to get another chicken shit heel. I, that, that's all we really get. If you're not Mark Henry and you're a bad guy in WWE, uh, or I guess Mark Henry or Kane, uh, of course Kane is, is trying to eat people from under the ring for those of you who saw Raw, but you know, outside of that supernatural type character, it's Mark Henry is a monster, and everybody else is a chicken shit heel. And I'm, I'm really concerned we don't need another one. It's going to feel a lot like Christian's heel turn. I'm afraid if he just turns and, and and doesn't really have any any weight behind him. I mean, he needs to beat somebody. Like you said, so far he's gotten two wins over the Big Show, both of them because of Mark Henry. Mark Henry, of course, knocking out Big Show at the pay per view to allow for Daniel Bryan to win the title. And then tonight with the match, it calls a disqualification at the end. So I'm really concerned about him being a chicken shit heel. And I'm also kind of confused about why you would turn him heel on SmackDown at this point with considering that there's kind of, I mean, they're, they're kind of bereft of, of, of baby faces on SmackDown. You've got Orton, you've got Sheamus, and then it falls off really fast from there. I mean, Big Show's there as a baby face right now, but he's, he's kind of a feature. Yes, he's in the, the, um, the title hunt right now, but he's really more of a feature wrestler at this point in his career, kind of like Undertaker. I, you know, I just, I, I don't know. I, I think, I would think that they would keep him as a babyface for right now. Of course, for all we know, they might be setting up for, uh, you know, the draft after WrestleMania, doing that CM Punk, Daniel Bryan feud that we would, you know, certainly all the internet would like to see. 
there's there's certainly some good things that can happen with him being a heel, but I, I'm really concerned about him just turning into another Christian. Uh, do, do you think that's fair, or do you think I'm I'm blowing that out of proportion? No, I mean it would definitely be bad if uh, you know if he turned into another another one of those heels that needs to cheat to win. You know, every time he goes out there, I mean it's, it's not like a Eddie Guerrero where the cheating is actually you know him outsmarting his opponents. It's usually you know like it is tonight where. You know, he he slaps around somebody at ringside and gets them to attack him for the, you know, for the DQ. So, I, I don't think we need another one of those heels on SmackDown. I, I would have, you know, I appreciate what they tried to do with Del Rio when he first debuted, which was try to turn him into a, you know, a guy who can legitimately get a win every once in a while. And that's the kind of heel I want to see from Brian. I mean, if you, know, if you have people inside of uh, WWE and a lot of people, you know, to where he used to uh, roam around the world in Japan and Mexico and in Ring of Honor and other promotions in the United States, they all call him, you know, the best wrestler in the world. So why does the best wrestler in the world have to constantly cheat to win? I, especially, you know, when you need a strong heel on that show right now with, with Henry kind of being down. Yeah, and I, I thought he did a good job with the, as far as the Mark Henry disqualification because he didn't actually hit him. And, I mean, he just got in his face, mouth off, and Henry overreacted. And so it was, it was at least, I mean, I'm, I'm holding on to a glimmer of hope because of that, but I... It is something I'm concerned about. Well, uh, let's run through the show and uh, you know look at all these things. We'll talk about the, the Henry or excuse me the Daniel Bryan and Big Show match when we get there. Uh, Gorsuch was again uh, recorded on January the third in Little Rock, Arkansas. We opened up with a video that recapped the Randy Orton Wade Barrett match last week, including the the ignorant. I mean, I really just the more I think about it, the more it aggravates me. The stupid elevator spot at the end of that Falls Count Anywhere match where they they supposedly tapped into the, uh, the the security camera feed, so the security camera that was in the, the elevator, and as one of our um, members pointed out in, in the forum, I think it was uh, B. Hester, I remember B. Hester pointed out, I, it, the, the security camera was in 1080p HD. I, I've sold security cameras. I doubt that that arena has a 1080p HD camera in the friggin' elevator. Yeah, and especially, uh, you know, one that, uh, has a photo or, excuse me, a, like a Adobe Premiere or Final Cut filter to make it look like a grainy, uh, 1080p, <laughs> uh, camera in a security closet somewhere. So yeah, I mean, it's, uh, the elevator camera spot, it, it just gets more hysterically ridiculous the more you think about it. But I guess, uh, maybe the point was not to overthink it, just kind of get a kick out of it, which it seems like they're, they're, you know, they were after. When it, when it first aired, but now that they keep airing it, it's just a constant reminder of how silly it was. Yeah, the only reason I wanted to point it out is last week's show, but they, they seem awful proud of it. I mean, they pointed it out. They, they played the video again later in the show, and Cole's like, look, look, look right here when they go in the elevator. And I'm like, why, why would you point that out? Why would you put effort into one of the worst moments of the match? But, of course, that match ended with Randy Orton being thrown down a flight of stairs, uh, kayfabe style, and... Uh, we were promised a Randy Orton health update for later in the show. We had the opening video, the pyro, Josh Matthews and Michael Cole, a two-man booth. Thank you, God. They welcomed us to SmackDown. They, uh, again, promised an update on Orton's status for later. And then we had our entrances for our first match of the night, uh, first big match for SmackDown of the year, Cody Rhodes defeating Booker T to retain the Intercontinental Championship at 11 minutes and 31 seconds. Uh, the finish on this came... When Booker had hit uh, his his axe kick, his uh, scissor kick, and uh, Cody had kicked out, it was a really good near fall. Cole, you know, as much as Cole gets on my nerves, I thought that Cole did a real good job of selling that near fall. You know, he said that's Booker's finisher, and Cody Rhodes kicked out, and 
and really laid it on thick there. I, I mean, I just I, I know he's kind of going half Booker, but it also happened to work in his favor there. The, the way he put it over, they they bounced around in a couple of uh, reversals on each other, a couple of just you know weak strikes or whatever. Booker went for another scissor kick. Cody got away from it and managed to hit the beautiful disaster kick for the the win. I, I guess we're starting to see him use that kick more and more as a finisher now as opposed to just a signature move. Um, and then, you know, after the match, uh, Cody left the ring celebrating. Booker stayed in the ring for a minute, let the fans, you know, cheer for him. He kind of waved to some fans and sold being upset about the loss. But uh, I thought ultimately it was a good match. I thought that Cody looked very, very good there. He seems to be putting on a little bit of weight as far as muscle bulk. He seems to be bigger than he's been in the past. Uh, Booker looked okay. He was a little bit rusty, but not terrible. I mean, he just didn't seem crisp. He seemed like he had lost a step, but I mean, he's certainly on up there in age a little bit for a wrestler. Uh, but, it, but he did well here, and Cody carried him to what I thought was a pretty good open. Yeah, this was a much better match than the one we saw a couple of weeks ago on Raw. Uh, you know, I, I thought that match kind of, I mentioned in my uh, weekend review last week, that it was uh, kind of looked like it was wrestled in stop motion with, I don't know if it was communication problems or if, uh, you know, they just weren't on the same page of the ring. But uh, this was a much smoother match, and Booker looked a lot better, and Cody looked great. And, you know, I think the reason that they go with that beautiful disaster kick on, on the larger opponents is that I, I'm not sure everybody can, uh, you know, can sell crossroads very well. And it is a move that if you did it wrong, could probably cause a pretty serious injury. So, um, you know, I, I think uh, the way the match ended up, uh, you know, it was the right finish. It was a, a quality match. And I thought it was a great way to open the show. They, you know, they put on a pretty good show. And, and Booker, uh, you know, despite uh, looking kind of gassed as the match went on, actually delivered a much better match than I, I thought he was capable of at this point, based on, on what we saw a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, and he was certainly better here than he's been on commentary for the past year, however long it's been since he's joined the SmackDown announced crew. Uh, what do you think they do next with Booker? I mean, he, you know, he kind of put all his eggs in one basket storyline-wise by having this, this feud with Cody. We know, we're pretty sure what Cody's going to do next. They made that pretty clear after the commercial break, but where do you think they go with Booker from here? Hmm. If I was guessing, based on how much uh, Vince seems to like Booker in the booth, uh, I would assume he goes back there. And maybe they, you know, they try to do some kind of double turn with him and Cole. You know, if Booker could do a heel turn and become the heel color guy and, and Cole could resume, uh, you know, being a pretty straight announcer, I, I think that would be the best thing for the show at this point. I mean, I, I'd like to see something. I don't think Booker is that dumb. I don't think he's as silly as the character he's playing is. I think if he was uh, given a, a more serious character, he could probably pull off the announcing gig. So I, I, I think that's where they're going to go. But, I mean, that's just a, a speculation on my part. Yeah, I don't think Booker's that dumb either. I, mean, I think he's given it away quite a few times when they've done uh, some stuff where they're on camera and he'll say something just incredibly asinine and, and Cole will be like, what? And, you know, start cracking on him a little bit and then they'll kind of, you know, they'll, they'll let Matthews take over as the serious person at that point and both of them kind of look away to keep from laughing. Booker doesn't do a very good job of, of hiding it. So, yeah, I mean, I definitely think he's playing a character. I don't understand the desire to play that that Southern, you know, he's from Atlanta and, I, you know, that, that kind of, stereotypical southern hood rat character that he won't I, don't, I mean I just don't understand why he would want to do that uh, you know and, and just make himself look dumb like he does but yeah I got a feeling he's going to come back in the booth uh, sooner if not you know sooner rather than later 
he may have another. They may keep him around for uh, for Cody and Dustin, which is always where they're going next to Cody. Uh, but yeah, I think he's going to end up back in the book booth sooner rather than later. And a double turn with Cole would definitely be interesting. Uh, after that, after they the match, it was commercial. When we came back, it Cody walking backstage with the Intercontinental Championship. His brother Dustin, who of course wrestles as Gold Dust, walked up. Uh, he was not in his Gold Dust outfit; he was in his uh, suit. He congratulated Cody on beating one of the greats in Booker T. Uh, Cody, you know, kind of ran him down and you know asked him if he was being patronizing or whatever. He said, you know, that he was. He proved tonight that he was better than Dustin and better, probably better than their dad. Of course, their dad, the American Dream, Dusty Rhodes, uh, legend in in wrestling, will go down as one of the greats. Uh, not necessarily the greatest booker of all time, but certainly one of the great wrestlers who really got a reaction from the fans, uh, somebody I grew up watching here in the South. Um, he said that uh, if Dustin wanted to put on that, that stupid gold paint again for another run, he was a joke, but he wasn't a laughing stock. But if he wanted to put all that stuff on and make another run, he, Cody could change that real quick. Cody walked off leaving Dustin, Dustin angry there. For those of you who are not Twitter people, this has been going on for some time. Uh, Goldust has been actively, uh, you know, pimping for he and Cody to have a match for the Intercontinental Championship at WrestleMania. It certainly looks like they're going to a feud with those guys. I don't know if it's going to happen in Mania, but it certainly, I mean, I don't think there's any question at this point that that's where they're going next, uh, is, is Dustin versus Cody. And, and he's mentioned this is the second week in a row now that Cody has mentioned their father. Looks like Dustin's going to be involved as well, doesn't it? It would sure seem that way, and you know, obviously he's still you know employed with uh, with WWE, uh, you know, in Florida, and he's also doing that reality show. So I'm sure he'll have plenty of things to plug when he gets a chance on uh, on TV. But yeah, it seems to be going that way, and I, and I enjoyed this uh, this backstage segment. I thought uh, you know Goldust did a pretty good job of uh, you know of, of looking as dejected as possible when his brother was tearing him down, and uh, you know Cody is, is really coming into his own with, with some confidence on the microphone. It's uh, you know it's pleasing to see from him because there was you know, there wasn't a, there was a period not that long ago where he thought he might be lost at sea, but it seems like he's pulled it back together. He's really uh, really coming into his own both in the ring and on the mic. Yeah, and, and I got to say, for me, I'm I'm kind of looking forward to this match uh, whenever it happens because uh, you know quite frankly, uh, Dustin's last run is Gold Dust. I believe it was on Superstars or NXT, one of those one of the one of the B shows that appears on the uh, on the WWE.com uh, website. I mean, he's, he, he was in good shape. He tore, he's been out for some time with a torn rotator cuff, if I remember correctly. Uh, but obviously he's healthy and, and back again. He's been working with the, the Divas and, and being the agent for them. And, uh, we saw when they, when they first, when he first got stuck with them, we really saw some decent matches out of the girls. Uh, it was, it, they were short matches, but you could see a lot more athleticism. That's gone by the wayside now. I don't think that's his fault. I think it's just the nature of the Divas. But, uh, my point is, is that I think Dustin and Cody can have a really good match with both of them motivated, and, and I'm sure Dustin wants to do his brother a solid and and put him over because he's I mean he's getting a, a good push and a much deserved push. So are you looking forward to it as much as I am? Yeah, I mean I, I'm, I'm going to like the interaction between uh, you know to see where Dusty kind of comes into this. I mean it's always uh, you know interesting drama when you you know you put real life family together and they have to kind of tiptoe uh, between the lines of uh, you know fiction and reality and, and try to. You know, try to find a way to uh, get through an angle without, uh, you know, without really revealing some deep, dark family secrets or something. But 
Yeah, I, I think uh, Dusty's interaction with with uh, the feud with Ray last year at WrestleMania was good, and if they can pull off that kind of chemistry again, it should be a lot of fun, uh, you know, to see Dusty and, and Cody perhaps, uh, you know, take on uh, Dustin and maybe Booker T will get involved. So it has the potential to be fun. They cut backstage or a different part of backstage, Teddy Long's, you know, supposed office and. He was talking to Zach Ryder. Zach, you know, Ryder talked about being the assistant general manager in case you know assistant to the GM. Ryder, that's what I said. Ryder talked about he was the U.S. champion and how he had to move on, but he had the perfect replacement. And at that moment, Drew McIntyre walked in. Uh, Teddy, I thought, was kind of funny when he turned to look at Zach when he saw Drew and said, are you serious, bro? I, I thought he delivered it well. Just funny to me. Uh, you know, he's like, I, I, Drew can't be my assistant, and Ryder said, no, I'm not talking about him. I'm talking about this guy. And it was Santino Morello who came in with this stupid, you know, Cobra sock puppet thing that he's got. Uh, Ryder walked off. And, uh, at that point, Santino looked at Teddy and said, you remember last week when you said if Drew lost, he, was, he might be fired? And he said, yes. He said, well, guess what? He lost. And Drew got his face, told him to mind his own business. Teddy stepped in between them and booked him into a match said that if Santino won, he could be the assistant to the general manager or replace Zack Ryder. And uh, Drew said, well, what happens when I win? And Teddy gave what I thought. This was really frustrating. This goes back to something we've talked about many, many times about how, you know, when you have an evil GM, the heel GM, it makes sense. When you have a baby face GM just doing things that a heel GM would do except to the heels to screw them, it, it just doesn't work as well. And that's what he did here. You know, Drew said, what happens when I win? Teddy said, well, if you win, I'll think about not firing you. So if Santino wins, he gets a new job. If Drew wins, he might get to keep his job. Oh, God, really. So Drew storms off. Uh, Teddy and Santino speak for just a second, and then we get the blue lights, the saxophone porn music. Oksana walks up. Uh, Santino makes a, you know, a, a joke about, I was quite frankly about getting hard with the with the the snake his, his arm kind of coming up and going no and pushing it back down. He walks off. They they go through the whole Oksana and Teddy Long, you know, canoodling thing where they're up in each other's face. And Teddy asked her out for dinner after the show, and she agreed. At this point, I was ready to turn the channel again. I just you know we've got Santino and Drew in a match. I don't want to see that. I think Drew McIntyre is better than having to wrestle Santino Morella. The Oksana thing was dead what, six months ago? Uh, just, I mean, really, it's rough coming out of a good match to open the show, then a really good and intense segment with Cody and Dustin, and then we get this garbage. Yeah, I mean, it, it was a it was a pretty brutal segment. I mean, you know, the, the bit with uh, Ryder and, and Long was kind of funny with the, uh, you know, are you serious, bro? That was pretty much when that thing peaked. Everything was downhill from there. Uh, I, I'm not a fan of the, uh, the babyface GMs, uh, you know, making – life hard on the heels. I think that, you know, kind of ruins their credibility right out of the gate. And you could see, you know, the conclusion of this match right when they made it. I mean, it was, it's obvious they're doing some kind of losing streak with, uh, with McIntyre and, you know, they, they made it pretty obvious that, uh, you know, they want to do, you know, kind of dorky comedy stuff backstage and, and who's better than that, uh, than, than Santino. So I think that kind of gave away where this is going. And, you know, I think everybody knows how we both feel about Oksana at this point. It was, it was played out. Uh, a long time ago, and it's really, I mean, if that's all they can think to do with her, I don't even know, uh, you know, how much credit you want to give WWE creative anymore. I mean, she's a beautiful blonde woman. Send her out there with a the damn wrestler. Why do you got her back there with the GM? Nobody gives her ass. That's about, I just don't get it. 
Yeah, and dyed her hair black to give her a totally different look. I, it, it's the most frustrating angle, I think, in, in WWE right now. Just, just simply because it's gone on for pretty it, it, it is the SmackDown version of the anonymous Raw DM, is it not? Yeah, I mean, basically, it's, it's just lame. I mean, there's yeah. no other way to describe it. I mean, it, it's way past any any form of entertainment quality. I mean, it's, it's just, uh, you know, redundant. And I'm surprised that, you know, it looked like they were going someplace with it a couple, you know, a couple weeks ago when uh, Oksana kind of, uh, you know, looked uh, Cody Rhodes up and down like he was a, uh, you know, a piece of meat or something, and kind of she walked away from Teddy like she didn't care anymore. I'm like, oh, finally this is over, but uh, no, it's, they resumed it again, so it's just a pain. Yeah, whatever the payoff is on this, it's not going to be enough, that's for damn sure. After commercial, we had a video recap of the 2008 uh, Royal Rumble, the one where John Cena returned unexpectedly and went on to defeat Triple H for that Royal Rumble win. They cut backstage where AJ and Alicia Fox were talking, and uh, they were talking about Daniel Bryan's match with uh, Big Show after his, of course, storyline. AJ and Daniel Bryan are seeing each other. Don't know if that's uh, happening in uh, in real life or not. I believe that it is. She's made some some interesting uh, kind of uh, veiled uh, comments on Twitter. Just the other day she was talking about it's so cold wherever she was. It'd be nice to have a fire-breathing dragon nearby. For those who don't know, uh, Daniel Bryan wrestled as Bryan Danielson, the American dragon. Uh, in the Indies before being picked up by WWE, and there was another one I don't remember off the top of my head, but I think they are. Don't don't you know swear me to that and go start tweeting AJ and go. I hear you're doing Daniel Bryan. I I didn't say that. I <laughs> said I think they are dating. Uh, but anyway, they, they, certainly they are in the storyline. Uh, they AJ said she was concerned about Bryan because you know he's facing the Big Show. Alicia said she was as well. She hoped that Bryan's ego could handle a loss. And, and Brian walked up at that point and said, did, did I hear someone say my ego, something about my ego? Have you forgotten that I pinned the big show, one, two, three? Um, Alicia Fox just kind of looked at him and said, okay, I'll leave you two alone and left. Uh, Daniel asked uh, AJ why she was even friends with that girl, and uh, in a really, I thought was a really good line. Uh, AJ said, no, she's just concerned about you, so am I. And he said, AJ, do you, do you too think that I can't beat the big show? And she said, no, no, I'm just concerned, and he kind of cut her off. It's a great, then after I win tonight, we are going to go celebrate. He kissed her on the forehead and walked off. You know, this was real. Like, we kind of got some hints of it last week, but I thought this was the real flag in the ground moment where you go, okay, he's definitely going. It looks like he's definitely going to turn heel at this point. They're certainly working down this arrogance angle. They've blown it up even more so uh, since he won the title and last week. Uh, and, and I thought I thought all three people I mean, she did very good here. AJ and, and Alicia did did fine, and, and Daniel Bryan did fine. And it was, I mean, you know, I'm not going to sit here and think about this this segment for the next ten days, but I thought it worked well for what they did. Yeah, definitely. It, it, it was a you know a good segment that got uh, further the storyline with you know Bryan and AJ, and uh, you know at least cemented the fact that he's either you know delusional or you know a megalomaniac. I think they're doing, uh, they're doing something with this character and it, it, it's going to pay off eventually. I, I just hope they don't uh, have to pay off the him losing the title and, and snapping on somebody. I, I, I hope he, he's able to hold on to the title and do something special with it as a heel, but we'll have to wait and see how it plays out. But I think this was a good, uh, a good moment for Brian and he, he delivered it to, you know, in, in a way that, you know, showed some confidence that we haven't seen from him on the microphone in the past. And kudos to Alicia Fox. The last two times we've seen her on television, she's botched something. She managed not to botch anything here. 
We went back to the ring for our second, oh, wow, I, I guess we call it a match. Hornswoggle defeating Heath Slater in an over-the-top rope challenge in a minute and 34 seconds. They showed the video of what happened last week with Sheamus and Hornswoggle and, and Heath Slater. And, and so this was, uh, I, I don't they said that did Slater challenge Hornswoggle? Is that how they set this up? Yeah, they, they, they set it up. Uh, the announce team set it up as, as uh, Hornswoggle was coming out that uh, he had accepted uh, Heath Slater's challenge. That's why, that's why I wanted to make sure I heard that. I thought I heard that. But So we got, you know, a minute of wrestling. I think as it was, you get Hornswoggle pointing to the ceiling to distract Slater. Slater looks up. Horny stomps on his foot. He hits a couple of, he slaps him. He hits a couple of kicks. Uh, but then, of course, you get the, the moment where Slater comes back and just clubs him down, and everybody boos because it looks like he's beating up a little kid, which he's not. Uh, and I just I, I hate that reaction. I mean, the crowd just goes nuts, and then, oh, come on. He's, 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 got, he's got a beard, for Christ's sake. He's, 30, he's like 32 or 33, something like that. He's almost as old as I am. And I don't know. I, I, that's just my personal grudge. But the finish on this comes. Slater, uh, Horny jumped off the second rope for like a crossbody. Slater catches him, goes to throw him over the top rope. Hornswoggle grabs a hold of his hair, of Slater's hair, ends up falling on or landing on the apron while still a hold of the hair, keeps pulling and pulling and pulling, and finally Slater goes over the top rope uh, and, and he loses the match. Hornswoggle gets in the ring, starts celebrating. Slater comes back in and just, you know, attacks him, starts mauling him out of nowhere. I mean, like he had to have been running past Gorilla, because he got to the ring faster than I've ever seen in my life. Uh, Justin Gabriel slides into the ring, attacks Slater to get him off of Hornswoggle, and ends up hitting his 450 splash, which, if you did not see this show, they usually put it on YouTube. Go find this moment on the YouTube whenever they put it up, because they they have a camera shot right when the 450 hits, and it's zoomed in on Slater, and it just looks brutal when Slater, uh, excuse me, when Gabriel lands on top of him. Gabriel goes over, checks on Hornswoggle, and that's how they close out the segment. Again, anytime I see Hornswoggle, I'm ready to change the channel. Uh, this obviously is setting up a feud between Slater and Gabriel. I don't know why they need Hornswoggle to set up a, a feud between two former tag team members. They should have done this before. Uh, I mean, they kind of did. They had a couple of matches, but never really any type of drawn-out feud. But this seems to be where they're going with both guys. I, you know, neither one, both of them have been jobbers to the stars. They've been enhanced with talent for several months now. I can't say I'm too excited about this feud. How about you? Yeah, I mean, it, it doesn't really, uh, you know, excite you to think about it. Neither of these guys is particularly over right now. I mean, you know, Slater uh, is doing the one-man Southern rock band thing. I mean, I don't know who that appeals to. Uh, I mean, it's definitely not me. And, you know, Gabriel is over when he does 450, but, I mean, the guy really has no character at all, so. Uh, you know, it's nice that they're trying to do something with these two guys because I think they both, uh, you know, deserve at least a shot at a at a real feud. But, uh, you know, I, I don't know how two guys that don't connect with the fans at all, you know, are going to put each other over. So it's uh, difficult to say where this is going to go from here, but I, I'm not terribly excited about it. Yeah, I mean, I was, I was born and raised on Southern Rock, and I don't care about Slater and the one-man Southern Rock band. It's really bad right now. Ho- hopefully one of them can get something coming out of this feud, but I-, I would not hold my breath. After commercial, we uh, had Ted DiBiase making his ring entrance. Unico and Camacho came out on the bike. Unico, of course, riding on the back as Camacho uh, pedaled the bike down the ramp. 
Uh, Unico talked about Ted DiBiase's DiBiase posse party that he has uh, before live events uh, wherever he goes, and said that you know they had never been uh, invited to any of those parties. And I, I was really okay with all this up to this point, and then he hands the mic to Camacho, and this is where I just, I mean, I really had the mo- I would rather go back and watch the Hornswoggle moment again than what happened here, because, you know, we talked about last week on the audio, Camacho is Tongan. He is from the South Pacific. He is the son of uh, WCW uh, wrestler. He wrestled as Ming in WCW, wrestled as Haiku in, in WWE, WWF with the Barbarian. Um you know, he's South Pacific, he hands in the mic, and he goes, you never invited us, S.A.? Really? We're doing a Mexican accent on the South Pacific Islander? I cannot believe it. Uh, but that led to our third match of the night, Unico defeating Ted DiBiase at three minutes and three seconds. Uh, I, I, just kind of a basic match. I think this is the feud they're going with, so this just kind of set it up. Uh, DiBiase worked on, you know, control for a big chunk of the match. Unico managed to work on the arm. Uh, the finish for it was DiBiase went for Dream Street. Unico escaped, slammed the shoulder into the turnbuckle, and then looked like he might have been going for something like a lapel lock or, or something like that. He hooked the arm, uh, DiBiase's arm around his leg, and then rolled him over and grabbed his feet and pulled him down in, in, into what was like a half submission, half pinning position. Uh, he did pin, that, and, he, and he didn't win by pinfall at that point. That's where the, the pinfall happened, was out of the move. But it looked like a submission move that also just happened to, to be a pinning position. Uh, I mean, the match was fine for what it was, but I, I was so frustrated over the use. Uh, I mean, if you're going to use someone for an ethnic angle, then at least get someone who is that ethnicity. That's not asking too much, is it, Jake? Yeah, I don't buy it. I mean, it's just really, really terribly stereotypical, you know. I, I don't know. Obviously, Camacho isn't all that defended by it, or at least he's putting on a good face for it. But, yeah, I mean, it, it really, uh, you know, gets home when you actually know the background of who's, you know, who's out there and uh, the ridiculousness of assigning someone an accent that is even with their nationality. But uh, I guess the the positive here is that Unico continues to look very good in the ring. You know, DiBiase's a, uh, you know, a strong wrestler and uh and Unico was able to work in some pretty cool-looking offense, unique offense, kind of lucha, uh, you know, tinge to it. Also some, uh, you know, Japanese, they had a Fujiwara armbar in there. So, I mean, the guy has a wide range of uh, ability at the ring, and he's really promising. But it sucks that he's kind of stuck with this stupid gimmick that, uh, you know, when, whenever it does the end for him, he's going to have a tough time shaking it loose. But, uh, you know, I have high hopes for him as a wrestler. Yeah, I, I don't mind acting with him as much. I don't really like it, but I don't mind it with him as much because, he, you know, he, he came out as Sin Cara and became the bad Sin Cara, and it just seems kind of a natural progression of how he, you know, how he was introduced. I think it's hilarious. Real, I mean, I don't mean this mean towards anybody, but I do. I find it just absolutely hysterical that there was all this brouhaha about bringing in Sin Cara and then he starts, you know, botching things, and so they bring in this other Sin Car. Well, then he gets suspended. They bring in this other Sin Car, who is Unico, and they rush into the, the feud with them. And now here we are on the back end, and the original Sin Car is on the shelf, and he's injured. I think it was a knee injury. And really, even if he wasn't injured, I mean, just seeing what we've seen so far, I think Unico was the guy that, that really came out of that feud as the guy to watch. 
and he continues to get better every single week on the show. I thought his, his promo was fine here. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't anything long or spectacular, but you know, he went out there and had a job to do. He did it well. Um, it was a good match with DiBiase in the ring. So, yeah, I'm really interested in this guy, too. Where, where do you think they're going with it, though? Are they, we, we're starting to see a little bit of movement in the tag division. Uh, do you think they're ultimately going to have these guys tag, or are they just going to kind of be buddies and be more singles? I'd like to see him tag. I think they'd be a good addition to the tag division. I've heard good things about both of them as far as their, you know, their ring work is concerned. Unico has certainly bore that out in what we've seen of them so far. So I think they could be a, you know, a solid addition to the tag division, which really needs some, you know, actual tag teams at this point. You, you know, so often we see singles wrestlers matched together to hold on to the belts, uh, you know, to be a part of some other feud that they're in. And, uh, rarely, you know, is, is tag team wrestling taken seriously. So. You know, it, it takes a while for people to master the craft, but, you know, if, if they could build some actual teams, uh, you know, I, I'd love to see tag team wrestling make a resurgence. So it's a good idea for both of them. Wade Barrett was shown backstage talking with uh, what appeared to be the medical staff, uh, the trainers or the doctors or whatever in the training room. After commercial, he made his ring entrance. He came out and said that he didn't need the doctors. He told the doctors to stay in the back. They didn't need to come out and do the medical update. He could handle it just fine. He replayed the video from the top of the show and, uh, again, with the stupid elevator bit and uh, throwing Orton down the stairs. He said that uh, as far as Orton's medical update, he had a, a herniated disc in his back and that his career was over. He said he may make a return, but he will never be the same again after that, so he is essentially finished. Um, for those who, who are wondering, uh, no, Orton's actually coming back much, much sooner than originally well, no, nobody. There was some. There were rumors going around at first that he could be out as long as six months. That it was a severe back injury. WWE never really said. It was quiet for a while. That was just kind of speculation and rumor. Uh, now we know he's coming back in just a couple of weeks. He's actually going to be uh, and working a full schedule. He'll be on the house shows and, and everything else. He is he is doing much better than originally thought. Of course, they're going to continue their feud. That's why Barrett said that. But he said that uh, he, he continued on to say that the Royal Rumble was in Randy Orton's hometown of St. Louis, and and instead of Randy Orton being there to celebrate a victory in front of his hometown crowd, he was going to have to sit in the crowd in his hometown and watch Wade Barrett win the Royal Rumble because there was nobody, no superstar left on the roster who could stop him. Cue Sheamus's music. Sheamus comes out with his new great white T-shirt on. He comes out and tells the, you know, he, he does his, his little Lucky Charm story, his Irish folk story of the week about his uncle, whatever. I, I mean, I don't pay attention to it as far as the heavy details. Uh, because it just gets the same gimmicky little yuck, yuck, yuck story every single week. And, uh, he said that, uh, that, you know, that his uncle, whatever it was, liked the sound of his own voice, just like Barrett. Uh, he said that Barrett was going to have lots of problems at the Rumble and that, she, that he, Seamus, was the biggest one he had to deal with. He said that his uncle got kicked in the head by a mule, and that explains some of uh, his craziness later in life. But he wanted to know what Barrett's excuse was for acting like a horse's ass. They got right in each other's face. It's 30 seconds before the top of the second hour, traditionally one of the biggest ratings moments where they use, you know, the, the, the first opening of the show, the close of the show, and the start of the second hour are your, are your big three moments. They usually put something big here. And Jinder Mahal's music hit in, in, in the shocking moment of the night. Jinder Mahal got the top of the hour push. A guy who, correct me if I'm wrong, but four weeks ago, either four or five weeks ago, jobbed out to Ted DiBiase. 
who is now stuck in a feud with, with Unico way down the card, this guy is now dealing with, you know, arguably the top heel in Wade Barrett on the show. Uh, well, I mean, Henry's there with the, with the title, so I guess not. But as far as, you know, in the Randy Orton universe, you've got, you know, Barrett's, I guess, the number two heel, you could say, uh, as long as uh, or while Daniel Bryan figures out who he is. So you got your number two heel, your number two babyface, and Jinder Mahal is the guy who gets the rub here. I, I'm not against the idea, but it's very shocking. The crowd was not impressed it was him that came out. He did a good job, though. He came out, he got in the ring, got right in Sheamus' face, and then just slapped the taste out of his mouth. Um, of course, Sheamus attacked him at that point. Barrett jumps on Sheamus. Sheamus ends up fighting off both guys, taking out both guys for a moment. He sets up for the Celtic cross, picks up Barrett for it, but Jinder Mahal kicks him in the stomach. Uh, he knocks Jinder down, turns around, and Barrett hits him with, what are you calling his, his side slam now? Uh, the Winds of Change. That's right. The winds of change. Hits him with the winds of change side slam. Barrett leaves the ring. Mahal gets back in the ring, locks in the, the camel clutch for a moment, wrenches that back on Sheamus, and then he finally leaves the ring. And at that point, he was getting pretty good heat. So they, it worked well for him there. But, you know, I'm going I'm I'm to turn it over to you immediately here. What did you think about the segment? And were you as surprised as I am that Jinder Mahal is the guy who came out? Yeah, I enjoyed uh, Barrett's promo. I, I think he's, uh, you know, he, he's as solid on the mic as anybody. I, I guess for me though, I, I, I hate that stupid Barrett barrage crap, and I wish they just oh, yeah. bury it under a pile uh, of cordwood or something. I it just, you know, let it go. It, it didn't work the first time. It's not working now. Uh, you know, if, if you drop that repetitive portion of his act, I think he'd be. Uh, a much better, uh, much better heel. Because it's just as soon as I hear that come out of his mouth, I'm like, oh, okay, here we go again. But uh, Seamus, uh, you know, the the Irish Limerick bit, like you said, I I tone it, I tune it out now. I mean, I don't even hear it. I don't think, uh, you know, there there are you know intermingling with that. He has a uh, you know a pretty good uh, babyface promo, but it's, you know he's always bringing up his his great uncle Wilford, and, uh, you know, some horse farmer he knows somewhere, and you know. Uh, Dublin somewhere. I mean, it's just ridiculous that we have to, you know, he's forced to go out there and do that when he when he was such a serious uh, heel for such a long time. But uh, he's definitely mega over. I mean, his reactions are huge, so I guess I can't argue with the success of it. But um, Mahal coming out was a major surprise to me. Just, I mean, because you, you had two guys in the ring having an intense stare down in the crowd, but you, know, you could kind of feel, uh, you know, the room lift a little bit when they had the stare down because the, you know, the noise level generally just went up and then uh, Mahal's music hit, and you could have heard a pin drop in that place. I mean, just no reaction at all, and neither guy in the ring, uh, you know, turned back right away. They just kind of waited for his music to play for a minute. So, you know, they weren't taking him all that seriously. Uh, but he, he ended up uh, doing a pretty good job with the segment. You know, I, I was uh, happy to see him perform so well, but, uh, you know, just based on uh, how he's been buried for so long, it's going to be tough to, to revive him from, from the ashes here. But they're giving it their best, and we'll see what happens. Yeah, I enjoyed the segment. I thought it was entertaining. Again, the problem with Barrett Barrage is correct. Now, I will say this. I've heard from a couple of our readers in the U.K. I, so I, you know, I thoroughly trashed the Barrett Barrage thing, and I got some emails from some people, and it seems to be, you know, I just, I mean, the people I've heard from, from, from the U.K. really like the Barrett Barrage thing. I, I don't get it, but, you know, maybe it's not for us. Maybe it's for them. He is, obviously, he's from England, and, uh, so maybe it's, uh, I don't know, maybe it's a British thing and we just don't get it being American. 
but yeah, I mean that's not great. Of course, the, the Seamus thing with uh, the, whatever his silly story is aggravates me. But as a whole, the segment was good. I, do you think? I mean, like you said, they're, they're going to have to do more work with gender. This, I mean, he, this is not going to be enough. What they did tonight with him coming out, but he was getting good heat at the end. Uh, I mean, if, do you think it's a good start? How much? How much work do you think they have to do to get him to be considered? a credible threat at this point, especially considering how, you know, pro wrestling, as you've said before, pro wrestling is the ultimate exercise in short attention spans. I mean, is this something, can they have him be a legitimate threat by the Rumble? Well, he needs to have a legitimate win and, and not one, you know, with uh, with some kind of cheap, you know, referee or outside interference uh, influence decision. I mean, they, I mean if, uh, I think it was, maybe it was right after they came back from commercial after this match, they, they announced that they were having a Sheamus and Mahal match uh, next week, so they're already promoting that match with the show. And you can, I mean, you can almost see it coming where you know Barrett's going to be involved, and, and Mahal will pick up some cheap win, and that's going to, you know, that's going to be the excuse to continue some major push for him. And I, I just don't think that's going to work in, in the eyes of fans. So uh, they need a, a major win for him, and one that's clean, and one that he can really kind of hang his hat on and, and cut some promos on. Otherwise, it's just not going to. You know, I don't think he's going to pick up any steam. Quickly, before we move on, can you think of a guy other than Jinder Mahal who has been through more, not, I mean, quick and dramatic up and down than him? I mean, he came in, immediately put into that that, uh, that program with, uh, with Great Khali, really, you know, impressed us and a lot of people. It was really at the top. Then the feud, then they just, they missed, they missed book the feud. They didn't do a good job of, uh, you know, having Kali do what he needed to do. They used a story that didn't make a whole lot of sense to the American audience. And, and he, he really fell off. He just kind of disappeared and then he was jobbing out to everybody. And now, bam, he's right back in that second, that top of the second hour thing. Can you think of a guy, I mean, we've seen lots of guys have pushes installed, but I mean, he went from, Three quarters of the way up the card to at the bottom of the card to about you know eighty percent eighty ninety percent way of his way up the card in a relatively short amount of time. Yeah, I mean it's, it's kind of remarkable how quickly they're putting him right in there with you know major superstars, established ones. I mean, but you can make the same case for Barrett too. I mean he's he's been on the yo-yo himself, and and so have so many other guys. I mean Daniel Bryan, the world champion, has his share of uh, ups and downs on the card. So. I mean, I think it just speaks to the indecisiveness of the people that are booking the show. I mean, things change from week to week, and they lose confidence in people almost, it seems, overnight, uh, you know, with very little recourse. I mean, it's just one week they're, uh, you know, they're winning uh, major matches, and the next week they're they're jobbing out to, you know, to guys that they uh, they would have crushed the, the week before. So it's very strange the way they handle it. But I think he, you know, he has the talent. He's shown the ability on the microphone. He's got a good look. And, uh, you know, for whatever reason, people uh, seem to uh, give heat for the camel clutch and the, the uh, I guess, you know, when the uh, Iron Sheik did it, it was an Iranian gimmick, but now they're, uh, now they seem to be doing something with his uh, Indian heritage. So, I mean, it seems like fans kind of get into that stuff, so I'm sure they can, they can resurrect it if they want to, but it's going to have to be a pretty sustained push over a, a decent period of time for him to, to get the mega heat they probably want him to get. We had a uh, the video that recapped Daniel Bryan beating Big Show at TLC, how that all played out with Mark Henry. Then they showed a tale of the tape, and 
I, I have to share this. You, uh, you Gmail, you chatted me right in the middle of that and said, if Brian's 210 pounds, I'll eat my socks. Yeah, he's uh, – I, I understand you have to puff guys up a, a little bit bigger than what they are, but, but 210, really, that's a bit of a stretch, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, I, I could see him being maybe 200 pounds or 195 or something. I mean, forever – they did the same thing with Jericho forever, too. I mean, that, he's probably 5'10", and they push him as, you know, 6 feet, 230 pounds. And it's just like, okay. But, you know, I don't, I don't know why they, uh, you know, they, they've had Rey Mysterio as world champion. Why do they feel the need to, uh, you know, to puff somebody up who, you know, he, he has plenty to hang his hat on. I don't, I don't know why they, you know, they feel the need to lie to us, but I guess that's just their business. Yeah, it cracks me up pretty good because uh, I'm actually on a diet right now for the New Year's. And uh, we're not a diet. I have changed my diet for, for New Year's. And uh, so I've been weighing a little bit. And I'm looking down and I'm like, okay, I'm fat and I'm 230. And he's not any taller than me. And he's supposed to be that, you know, that as built as he is at 210. He's only 20 pounds. Like, yeah, no, I don't. <laughs> I don't think so. It is a big difference in our weight and it's not 20 pounds. But. After commercial, we had our fourth match tonight, Santino Morella defeating Drew McIntyre uh, to become, quite frankly, the assistant to the general manager at 2 minutes and 30 seconds. Uh, McIntyre attacked at the bell and really beat up Santino, uh, but messed up at the end. He ended up catching himself on the ropes uh, in a corner spot. Santino had rolled out of the ring, slid back in the ring, and set up and hit the Cobra for the win. All of you people in Little Rock deserve to die for cheering for the Cobra. Uh, <laughs> I don't mean that seriously. Santino is one of those guys, he entertains me. He really does. I, I find him funny in short spurts. He, he always has kind of cracked me up. But I hate when he's put out there with wrestlers who should be taken seriously. And I think McIntyre is a guy who should be taken serious. Um, but, I mean, I, you know, he, he gets a great pop. You can't take it away from him. Everybody goes hot whenever he throws that arm out and starts slapping it at the inside of his elbow. Um, and, and, you know, so, and now he's the new assistant to the general manager. Uh, Drew McIntyre suffers another defeat. Uh, well, there's more on this after the commercial, but quickly before we get to that, what did you think of the match? I mean, it was, it was a two and a half minute match, and, you know, it was a Santino comedy match for me. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's really what it was, and it's a shame that McIntyre has slipped this far, but, I mean, it's obvious they have a plan for him. It's, uh, you know, they're making this concerted effort to have him lose. Uh, you know, matches as part of a storyline. And, uh, yeah, I, I, like I said earlier, I, I thought it was pretty obvious what was going to happen here. You know, McIntyre yeah. is going to continue to lose in these goofy manner. And, and they want Santino on, on SmackDown as the assistant GM because he's always good for, you know, a chuckle or something, uh, you know, to kind of break up the action on the show. So, uh, you know, it's, uh, it, it's silly that, uh, McIntyre isn't taken more seriously than he is, but I'm hoping, you know, this, uh, this is the last of him getting embarrassed. And maybe uh, you know next week he'll he'll start the up uh, uphill climb that he's he's got to take to get back to credibility. But I think he can get there. He's a, definitely a super talented guy. We got a plug for WWE 12, the video game. At that point, they showed it was Matthews and Cole, and they showed uh, a video of the game being played, and it was Daniel Bryan versus Michael Cole. And I hate myself for saying this, but. I swear to God, the segment cracked me up because, I mean, the first move they show in the ring is Michael Cole. And granted, I, I realize it's a video game, but still, just seeing Cole's character up on the second rope, patting his elbow and jumping off and hitting a, an elbow drop from the second rope, it just it flat cracked me up. I'm not proud of that, but it, but it really did. I thought it was hilarious. I don't want to spend a whole lot of time on it, but did you find it near as funny as I did? <laughs> 
Yeah, I mean, it was worth a chuckle. I, I think Cole uh, did his best to do the dry humor that uh, that he does mocking Daniel Bryan. And, and uh, you know, it, it was just ridiculous enough uh, to get a chuckle out of me. It's, it's, uh, yeah, it, it was funny. I mean, you know, obviously it's meant to uh, to continue their little mini, uh, whatever feud they have going between those two. But it it, it was funny, and I, and I laughed. It, it's one of the few times any of those video game segments have remotely entertained me. So got to give props to that. It just occurred to me, I'm interested to see how the thing with Cole goes if, if Brian does turn full-fledged heel, uh, if uh, how Cole reacts to him. That'll be interesting to see how it plays out. After commercial, we had Drew McIntyre backstage upset, obviously. Teddy Long walked up. Drew starts yelling at him. That didn't count. He obviously greased the ropes. He cheated. It's not my fault. Teddy said, I don't want to hear it. What I saw was another loss. That's strike two. And then in the most equivocating statement of the night. If next week, if it's strike three, you might get fired. Why is everything you might get fired? Why cannot Teddy say if you lose, you're out? I mean, I understand that that leaves them no options, but it just it sounds stupid to say next week's strike three, and if or next week you got another match, and if it's strike three, you might get fired. No, three strikes and you're freaking out. I know I played baseball. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know if that was uh, either just a flip and, he, and it was meant to be edited out, but it, it definitely uh, it gives them some wiggle room to decide what they're going to do for next week. But, uh, yeah, it, it, it's kind of silly. Everybody knows three strikes and you're out. Obviously, Teddy is uh, the king of uh, wiggle words. And then Drew storms off and Santino comes up and says, ah, me and you, we're going to make it a beautiful music together and did the trombone thing and Teddy did his best to to not laugh and, and watch Santino act an idiot, that probably will be pretty entertaining. They cut to the ring. Primo and Epico were in the ring with the gyrating Rosa Mendez. I honestly thought she might throw a hip out before they, they got her out of the ring. I mean, she just sat there and shook it and shook it and shook it, uh, wearing some very, very, very tiny shorts. They did an old-fashioned cut-in uh, promo with uh, in the split screen with her down at the bottom. She said something in Spanish about uh, her and Primo and Epico, and uh, Michael Cole actually translated for us. And basically, she said that since she had started working with Primo and Epico, they had turned into a good tag team and that they were going to defeat Air Boom. Did I get that right? Yeah, he kind of half-assed translated it, and that's, I don't even know if that's everything that she said, but it, that was the gist of it. Yeah. Yeah. And then uh, Air Boom comes out for our fifth match of the night. Epico and Primo with Rosa Mendez defeating Air Boom. I forgot to, to put the time in there. It was about three and a half minutes, roughly, something like that. This match was kind of a nightmare to try to, to, to cover as far as putting down moves. They Epico and, and Evan Bourne started, and they, I mean, they just went. And, and they were wide open this entire match. Uh, you know, Pete got tagged in and immediately went on offense. And, I mean, it just for, for three minutes, it was solid go, go, go. The finish on this game, you end up with all four guys in the ring. Kofi tosses Epico to the floor, goes to do a, a dive over the top rope, but Rosa steps in between and, and tells him no, and he screams at her to move. She won't move. Finally, Epico uh, runs around, grabs Kofi's foot, drags him out onto the ring, uh, onto the floor uh, where he lands on his back, kind of knocking him out. Uh, uh, Primo tries to, to get Bourne at that point. Point Bourne hits him with the jumping knee strike that he does. Went to the top for the shooting star press airborne, but uh, Epico grabbed Primo, dragged him out of the way so that uh, airborne or excuse me, uh, Everborn missed the airborne uh, uh, shooting star press landing, of course, in the middle of the ring. 
Primo runs over, excuse me, yeah, Primo rolls over at that point and pins him for the for the pinball victory to give uh, the Puerto Rican team another win over uh, the tag team champions. I assume that's the match we're going to see at WrestleMania, or she's not WrestleMania, at uh, the Royal Rumble uh, for the tag team championships as those guys versus their boom. Uh, since that's the case, I understand why you don't give away a lot here. They did. I mean, they were really quick. It was mostly strikes and stuff, not a lot of big moves, but still a uh, an entertaining match that was very, very fast-paced and I thought had a good finish. And, and, I, and in a lot of ways, I thought it did a lot for Epico and Prima. Yeah, it definitely did. I mean, they, they you know, they dominated most of the action in this match. Uh, and, uh, you know, Bourne had some pretty good moments, too, there at the beginning of the match and then there uh, towards the end when he was making the comeback. But, uh, yeah, this was very fast-paced, very entertaining. And, uh, you know, I, I just wish they'd spend some more time developing the characters for Epico and Primo and, and you know, develop some kind of relationship with them because we, we don't really know why they ended up getting thrown together other than, uh, you know, their, their nationality. So that's, uh, that's kind of bizarre. And they're cousins. Uh, well, that's true. Sorry. I, they're I, they're I, cousins, I, yeah. I forgot about that. So, yeah, I mean, I, I wish they'd, they'd, you know, elaborate on that relationship. And cause it seems like, you know, Rose is getting most of the focus because she's out there gyrating. I mean, she's doing most of the work. I mean, really, what do you think about it? It's, uh, but it was a fun match. It really was. Yeah, Jason Powell uh, made an interesting point. I'm curious to get your opinion on it. Uh, you know, he pointed out that, you know, she really, that, that act is about her ass. I mean, her out there just, just wiggling it around, and they're going to have to turn them babyface if they keep having her come out and wiggle like that because the fans are not going to boo that but for so long, and they're going to start cheering to see her. Yeah, definitely. I mean, that's, uh, that's one of the risks you've run. I mean, obviously, if they can, uh, you know, they got a babyface team to feud against here with their boom, and she, she played a part in this match uh, for the finish, you know, uh, with Kofi being unwilling to uh, do a splash on the outside, uh, which led to, you know, uh, Epico uh, being able to pull Primo out of the way for the air, airborne. So, you know, they, they can definitely work her into the matches, and they're going to need to work her in uh, more, you know, in a, in a fashion of hit her some boos. Otherwise, you know, shaking your hips like that is not something that's going to get you uh, booed out of the arena. They cut backstage to Matt Stryker, who was interviewing the big show. Uh, he thought they were talking about the match. Big Show was his uh, his jovial self. He was all excited about the match, and you know, he said, "I'm not trying to disparage Daniel Bryan. He's a good wrestler." And as soon as he said that, uh, Daniel walks up and says, "You know, I'm a good. He goes, I'm a good wrestler. Yeah, you know, you're right. I am a good wrestler. And one day I'll be probably a great wrestler. Uh, but you know, I, I don't have the the the. I'm not a genetic freak like you are. He said, "If I had your size and my skills." I wouldn't have gone nine years in between world championships, and I certainly wouldn't have the shortest title reign in, in history. Uh, at that point, Strecker took off, uh, which I thought was a, a nice moment because, you know, well, I've, I've talked about this before. There's a certain le- level of realism you want to have with wrestling, and if these two guys are mouthing off at each other like that, and I'm Matt Striker, I'm getting the hell out of Dodge too. Uh, but he took off. Show got real serious, put his hand on Brian's shoulder and said, uh, Daniel, don't make me hurt you out there. Brian fucked up and said, get your hand off of me. Joe said, oh, you're a tough guy now. And Brian repeated his demand. I said, get your hand off of me. Joe took his hand off and said, okay, and turned around and walked off and left Brian kind of scowling at him as he left. This I thought was fantastic. I mean, I really, it really set the stage well for for, for their match and, and to give Big Show uh, a reason to be aggravated. And, of course, knowing how the now knowing how the match was going to end, 
Yeah, I mean, I just, just, just solid storytelling here. I, I'm a, I'm a, a sucker for great storytelling, and this just, especially when you see how it plays out in the main event, I thought this was fantastic. Yeah, I did too. I, I like the chemistry here. I think uh, Brian and Big Show definitely, uh, you know, have shown, you know, that they can they can pull off promos like this together because they've done, you know, several of them over the past couple of weeks that have all been very good. So I've, uh, I've been really pleased with, you know, the way this turned out, and I thought Brian was was excellent here, uh, you know, and Big Show, uh, you know, trying his best not to lose his cool, you know, that's a, that's a good uh, role for a giant, so uh, I, I've appreciated what they've been able to do with these two guys, because on, you know, on paper, when when I first thought about, oh man, they're going to have, you know, Big Show going after Brian, this is going to really be a bore, but it, it's really turned out to be quite good. Yeah, they, they've done a real good job of working it, like, the chemistry is really good there, but who would have thought this? Daniel Bryan would be the perfect foil for Big Show, but he really, I, I think in a lot of, as good as Big Show and Henry was, and, and certainly their matches and stuff have been, have been better than what we've seen with him and Bryan so far, but I think that this, you, just the, the, the mic work that these two have done together rises to the level of mic work that Henry and Show have had, did prior to this. Would you agree? Yeah, and, uh, and I thought, uh, you know, even Henry, while he was out there, uh, you know, in the booth for the main event, did a great job too, so. Uh, yeah, I think, uh, you know, everything about the way this feud has gone down, you know, between these three guys, Henry, uh, Joe, and Brian, has really, you know, focused on developing all three characters, and I think it's, it's working so far. I've enjoyed the hell out of it. After commercial, we did get the announcement you mentioned earlier that next week we'll get Sheamus versus Jinder Mahal. Uh, they cut to the ring. Natalia was already there, and they, uh, her music was playing. They showed a, a, a video of highlights of her dad, Jim D'Ambel Nightheart, of course, uh, Teamed with Brett, the Hitman Hart, and the, uh, the Hart Foundation back in the WWF days. Uh, several World Tag Team Championships for him and handful of mid-card singles titles as well. And then Tamina made her entrance while they showed some video clips of her dad, Jimmy Superfly Snooker. Uh, and, of course, uh, Superfly is, is well-known with, with WWF fans. And a guy that I think, I, I don't know that we've heard yet, but I, I bet if I'm willing to bet, He's a guy we'll probably end up seeing in that Legends house that's going to be on the WWE television show by the time it's all said and done. That led to our sixth match of the night, Tamina defeating Natalia in a minute and 43 seconds. Uh, Natty attacked immediately at the bell, kind of got the best of Tamina for a second, went for a sharpshooter, but Tamina kicked her off. Then they did, I think it was supposed to be both of them going for cross bodies, but only Tamina really left the ground, and so it was kind of an awkward spot. Uh, instead of Wood, I think, I, I, and again, I don't know for that for a fact, but I think that's what they were trying to do there, but, but Natty never really jumped up for, for her crossbody. Uh, Tamina sold that, she ends up hitting a slam and going to the top, and hitting, uh, the Superfly dive off of the top of the Superfly splash for the pinfall victory. Very fast, frustrating to see Natty get a loss so quick, but Tamina looked good here, she's very athletic, but she's been clunky at times in the ring. I thought she'd look okay here. I don't know. It's so hard to to really do any type of serious analysis on the Divas division because it just feels like filler every single week. Uh, and while they have a little bit of a story here with second generation wrestlers and spinning off of that tag match that they lost it was, uh, like last week or two weeks ago, whichever it was, where Tamina kind of turned on Natty. I, I mean, I don't know. They, they got a little something going on, but I'm not impressed with it. But it wasn't a terrible match for a minute and forty seconds. No, not for the time they were given. It. You know that uh, that cross body spot looked really like brutal. I, I mean, it yeah, it just looked like a hard impact. 
uh, I, I couldn't tell. It, it looked like Tamina kind of did the perpendicular crossbody, and and uh, and Natty, you know, did her best to try to catch her because uh, I, I think it, I don't know, it might have came up too fast. But yeah, it was uh, that was a brutal looking spot, and it, it kind of confuses me, you know, why uh, why Natty uh, has been getting kind of crushed the past. I don't know, it's been at least a month or maybe six weeks that she has picked up a win. So I don't know. You mentioned last week that she, you know she crapped in somebody's gym bag or something, but you know she's definitely. Uh, is on the on the losing end of things on SmackDown right now, and you know, given where she was with Beth Phoenix just a, a few short months ago, it definitely uh, you know feels like she's on a downward slope, and it's sad to see. But Tamina looked you know pretty good. I I, I thought uh, you know the splash was good, the Samoan drop was good. Uh, they had that one bad spot, but other than that, it was a pretty clean minute and forty seconds. The Raw Rebound video recapped the main event with John Cena, Zack Ryder, and Kane. All that garbage. Uh, if you're uh, if you if you sign up for the member side, you can hear Jason and I talk about that in pretty big detail uh, for the on the Monday Night Raw audio review. You get Big Show and Daniel Bryan walking backstage, cut the commercial, get a video of the first Royal Rumble and Hacksaw Jim Duggan, of course, winning that one. Mark Henry makes his ring entrance and joins the commentary team. Big Show was out next, followed by Daniel Bryan, who was already, I thought, starting to get a little bit of a mixed reaction. Seemed to be a little bit of cheers, a little bit of booze, and a little bit of people who were confused about what they should do. Did, did it come across that way on your TV as well? Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely heard the cheers right away, but it quickly settled into, uh, you know, I, I heard the booze in the background. And there was it was just a very mixed reaction. Almost, uh, and it wasn't quiet, but it, yeah, you're right. It was almost like people didn't know what to think. Yeah, and of course he was playing it up big. I think that's where the booze. I mean, actually, the, when the music hit, he got a lot of cheers, and then uh, he came out really playing it up, pointing to the belt. That's right, that's right, that sort of thing. Uh, but that, of course, led to our seventh and final match of the night: Daniel Bryan defeating Big Show by disqualification to retain the World Heavyweight Championship in nine minutes and forty-four seconds. Quickly, before we talk about the match, Henry, I thought, was absolutely fantastic on commentary. All the way through this thing, uh, the, the for me the moment and someone tweeted me actually while it was happening, someone who apparently had already seen it, uh, you know they said wait till you hear what Henry does at the start of the right at the start of the match. Uh, he's out there talking. Cole and, and Matthews are trying to talk to him. Cole is of course just sucking up and agreeing with everything Henry says. Uh, Henry says something about Daniel Bryan being in the midget league, and uh, and Cole says yeah that's right the midget league yeah yeah. And then he says, what do you think of a match? Well, who do you think would win in a match between Hornswoggle and Daniel Bryan? And Henry just turned on him. I mean, just, you know, why are you asking me such a stupid question? If you don't have anything intelligent to say, just sit there and shut up and be quiet. I was dying listening to Henry just trash on Cole. Yeah, he he was, uh, you know, just fantastic on the, in, in the booth tonight. All through this match, it was uh, a lot of fun to hear, you know, him act like he was giving genuine reactions to what was going on in the ring. Cause, you know, there were times where he would give, you know, props to the big show. There were times where he would give props to Brian for different things. And he, he really seemed like, uh, you know, he was kind of, uh, you know, opening uh, up a little bit of his character and, and giving a genuine response to his character. And it was it was refreshing compared to what we usually get from Booker as the third man who just, you know, kind of has diarrhea of the mouth. Yeah, he, uh, apparently Daniel Bryan is not in Mark Henry's face size, but uh, they, yeah, he, he, I thought he was just good this entire match. They went to commercial pretty quick on this match. Uh, Bryan was running around trying to get away from the show. The show finally grabbed him, picked him up by the head with two hands, headbutted him a few times, dropped him. 
Brian went to the floor to recover. So it was a commercial uh, probably a minute, minute and a half into the match. Uh, so we really only got about five and a half, six minutes of TV time. Uh, the, w- when we came back, they were on the floor. Brian ends up driving Cho into the post and the, the, the ring stairs. That's how he's able to take control. He ends up working a lot of his offense on show, hitting some kicks and, and various things. Cho, of course, keeps powering out every time that there's a cover. Cho uh, finally starts powering back. He ends up hitting a spear on Daniel Bryan for a two count and picks him up for the choke slam. Brian squirms out of that and hooks on the, the front guillotine that, that he does. Held that for a moment until Cho went to the mat. As soon as he hit the mat, he spun out of it into the LaBelle lock. Brian was busted open on, in, on the inside of his mouth. He was, you know, gritting his teeth and, and burying his teeth. And, and you could see all the, the blood that was running down there. It was made for a I mean, I thought it made for a really interesting uh, uh, visual there with him trying to, to to get this big guy to tap out, and he's already got blood running out of his mouth. Joe acted like he might tap for a moment and then just just moved and, and just you know, basically shrugged Brian off to get out of the lapel lock. He pops up to his feet, uh, acts like he's going, or, or cocks a hand and charges for the, the WMD punch. Brian runs to the floor. He's been to the floor a couple of times, and, both times, anytime either guy got to the floor, he had Mark Henry out there screaming, get back in the ring, get back in the ring. When Brian went to the floor this time, Henry again started yelling, get back in the ring, this is no time to take a break, you don't get to take a break, what are you doing? Uh, he goes, uh, Brian went over, got in Mark Henry's face and said something to him, I couldn't make out what he said, but whatever it was, it wasn't much for Henry, who I thought again doing a great acting job, popped up put both hands in Brian's chest and shoved him as hard as he could, knocked him to the ground. Get out of my face. The ref in the ring kind of stands there for a minute, shrugs his shoulders, and then calls for the bell for the disqualification. Daniel Bryan, of course, announced as the winner by uh, DQ, and, of course, he, was, he retained the championship. He went to the over-the-top celebration like he's been doing. He celebrated like he had won the title for the first time. Um, ran around the ring, stood up on the, the barricade with the fans, you know, cheering and holding the belt up, walked up the ramp, laid it on the stage, started kissing it. Henry and uh, and Big Show were jawing at each other, showing the ring, Henry on the floor, and that's how the show ended. You know, I, I thought it was a good match. It's not a great match. Obviously, we're going to get more from these guys, so you can only do so much uh, without limiting what you can do later. Uh, I guess this is going to be our title match at the Royal Rumble. If I had to guess, it was going to, it's going to be showing in um, uh, uh, Daniel Bryan again, and so they had to save up for that. But, you know, as we talked about at the top of the show and, and, and even now, it, I mean, it, it was a good match that told a good story. It made sense from start to finish what Bryan was trying to do. Uh, and, and, and what I really like the nuance, again, about the finish is that he didn't go over and slap Henry to get Henry to slap him. He just said something to him and depended on Henry to overreact like Henry's character should. And so it leaves just enough ambiguity as to whether or not he was trying to get disqualified or if he was just playing his new arrogant character and this guy was yelling at him, so he got in his face much like he had gotten Big Show's face backstage. So I like what they did with the character there. I like the match. I like the finish. Uh, it's rare you're going to hear me say I like a DQ finish, but I really like what they did. Yeah, well, it wasn't bad at all, and uh, I think it, you know it, it told uh, uh, you know not the uh, final conclusion, but uh, you know a satisfying conclusion for this episode of the story. Uh, for some reason, my, in my head, I thought uh, when Brian went over and, and jawed at uh, 
at Mark Henry that he slapped his hand down at the announce table, and then then Henry popped up and and, uh, and and knocked him down. So I don't know if I if I just imagine that or or, or what, but uh, that's wrong. what I. Yeah, I I don't know. I'd have to go back and look at it again on the DDR. But uh, you know the, the the way the whole match played out, I thought Brian got you know got in some plausible offense. You know they they worked in those spots on the outside with the with the staircase and the the post and then a running knee and uh, you know show uh, you know I think he waited for like an eight count to get back in the ring and and then Brian never really get, let him get back to his feet and then he had the submission so you know all the offense that uh, that Brian did well, was very plausible it wasn't like you know uh, Brian is half Big Show size and he's in there just knocking him around so it, it was a, a well planned out and well paced match and I thought uh, you know the, the way it concluded uh, you know kept the story moving forward without. Uh, you know, having one of those stalled-out moments where, you know, we have no idea what's going to happen next week. It, it definitely is leading somewhere, and I was happy with it. And you might be right about Brian, and I might have missed it, but I, I guess even even if you are right, it, it wasn't, again, it wasn't something, he didn't go out and shove Henry or hit Henry to get Henry to hit him back. It was, whatever it was, it was more subtle than something so blatantly obvious. And, and, and again, certainly could be sold as, um, you know, just his new character, his new arrogant character. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it was it, it was a satisfying conclusion, a much, 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 much better episode than we got last week. Uh, you know, I, things are are starting to, to, to form into the storylines on SmackDown now as we get into the Rumble, and I'm looking forward to next week's show. It's not often that we get to say that, but I'm kind of excited to see what they're going to do with Show and, and Brian next week. Are you looking forward to it as well? Yeah, I, I'm definitely looking forward to next week's show, and. Uh... You know, it's it's nice to uh, to cover a, a refreshingly entertaining version of SmackDown. You know, a lot of times these uh, you know these wrestling shows are a lot more bad than good. But I think uh, on a net, you know, there there was a lot more positive things to say about the show than than negative, and I hope the trend continues because you know SmackDown is generally the better show, and I'm always happy to uh, to watch you know an, an entertaining wrestling show. Well, that is your SmackDown audio review for the SmackDown that aired January 6, 2012. If you like what you heard and you want to hear some of the other audios that we do, again, the Raw and TNA Impact Wrestling audio reviews, the .NET Countdown with Jake and Will Pruitt every week, Jason's Q&A audio, my audio's plan on Wednesdays, and the Thursday .NET Weekly Flagship Show, plus have access to the .NET Members Forum, the .NET Members Blog Site, and the ad-free version of the site. Head on over to ProWrestling.net, look on the right-hand side, click on the .NET member sign-up page, $7.50 gets you 30 days, $5.50 a month if you want to take the annual option. Definitely recommend it. We are coming into the road to WrestleMania. There's going to be a lot of neat stuff available for the members, so now's a good time to sign up uh, and, and check everything out as we head into what is arguably the best time of the year to be a professional wrestling fan. Thank you guys so much for listening, and as always, for your continued support of ProWrestling.net. Jake and I will be back next week. Everyone have a great weekend, and take care.